Blog Talk Radio. Teaching to you, and 
empower your steps being illuminated to walk in the power and the glory of God. Hallelujah. Well, it brings me great joy to come before you today, right here on blogtalkradio.com, and to share a word from God with you. And I just want to say thank you to all who have been following the broadcast. I thank you for all of your support. I thank you for your encouraging words. And I just want you to know today that I appreciate you. And I'm not in your presence, but if I could be, I'd just give you a big old hug and just let you know how much God really and truly appreciate you. I want you to I want you to know today that you are appreciated. You are appreciated by our Father God. You are so appreciated. Sometimes uh, uh, we need to hear that we're just appreciated. Sometimes people don't let us know uh, or encourage us. Sometimes you know, as ministers and as teachers and, and pastors and so on and so forth, or even uh, just be a lay member in the church, sometimes you just need to be encouraged. Sometimes you get so low down to the floor that you can look up at your feet. Sometimes it just uh, you just feel like, Lord, I'm alone and I'm by myself and there's nobody. But Evangelist Becky wants you to know today that, uh, God loves you and that he appreciates you and you are special to him. And there is a blessing for you. Hallelujah. And so I just want you to be encouraged today. I want you to walk in God. I want you to walk in his power and his anointing and for that for you to know that God does care. He is not faith uh he is not unfaithful that he doesn't remember or he doesn't uh, uh, want to give us what we need because he sees how we have labored and do labor with the saints of God. And God does not forget that. He doesn't forget the times that you're praying and fasting for others. He doesn't forget the time that you offer love, that you're out on the streets and you're ministering and you're witnessing and that you're witnessing to your coworkers and maybe even to members in your family and maybe you're the only one in your church that's that's doing something worthwhile that you're getting out there. Nobody else is walking the streets. Nobody else is 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 standing up with you when you minister the word of God to strangers. But I want you to know that God sees you, God cares about you, and God loves you. And he is so thankful for your faithfulness in him. And you truly are blessed, and you will be blessed, and God will not forget you. You are not forgotten. You are the imprint of your your, your face is in the palm of God's hand, and he sees you every day. So it doesn't matter that man doesn't give you the encouragement or the love that you seek or the love that you feel or the love that you need. God is telling you today that he loves you and that there is nothing that he has not seen you do. He's watching you and he sees everything about you. In Jesus' name, hallelujah. Praise you, Jesus. I don't know 
If that's for someone, receive it in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Well, praise God. We are back on the air, as I've already mentioned, and I just want to thank you today for tuning in to a word from God. I pray that this message, uh, this um, series on eschatology has been a blessing to you because I want you to know that Jesus truly is on his way back, and he's coming and looking for his church to be ready, excuse me, to be ready for his return. Hallelujah. Well, we are now in the book of Revelation, and we went through the um, first chapter on last week, and we are now starting on our second chapter where we are going to be getting into the seven churches uh, of Asia Minor, and uh, we're going to find out exactly what it is that uh, Jesus was saying to those seven churches which were real and literal churches. And uh, at those, uh, what Jesus spoke to those churches back then is still relevant for us today, that he is speaking to us as a body, as a corporate body, but he's also speaking to us as an individual, as individual churches of which we are. We are the church. And we found out last week that Jesus does stand in the midst of his church. He knows everything about his church. Do not think that God doesn't know what's going on in your churches and behind closed doors and, and all of those different things. Some of you may be, really be praying for your churches. Maybe there's some things going on in your churches. And I want you to know that God sees all you just be fervent in your prayers and you pray for your church. Uh, as I begin to share on these different churches and as you see things within your life, don't just look at uh, at, at everybody else in your church or or or, or uh, what's going on in in your church. But what type of church do you represent? What are you showing people who you meet every day, who you see every day? on uh, at your job, your coworkers, your managers, uh, customers, if you deal with customers or clients, what are they seeing? How do you answer the phone? Uh, how do you treat uh, customers when they come into your establishment? Um, so I want you to see yourself first. You know, whenever I study, I have to see myself first. I have to repent of what I have done, what I have said what I have thought. So as we go through this study on the churches, and today we're going to talk about the church of Ephesus. And so I want you to be aware that if you see something, if there's something about someone else you see, praise God, you pray for them in that area. But be looking at what you see about you and make sure that you have gotten your life together. Because Jesus is not so called so much coming back for the corporate church as he's coming back for the individual church, the uh, which are us, uh, uh, so that we, when we go in the rapture, uh, we are going to be married to Christ. And so make sure that you're looking and listening to hear 
what you see about yourself. Father God, in the name of Jesus, we thank you and we praise you for everything, Lord God, that you're doing in our lives. I pray, Lord God, that you will bless your people, that each and every one, Father God, that is on this uh, call today, O oh God, that there will be a blessing for each and every one of them. I pray, Father God, that whatever they're uh, asking you for, Father God, whatever they sense within themselves, Father God, and in areas that can be cleaned up in their lives, oh God, that they will repent, Father God, and be restored unto you, Father God. That, Father God, they don't look so much at somebody else's life, but that they will look upon their own life. We give you glory and honor and praise. We thank you for everything that you are doing even at this point, Father God. I pray that you bless your word on today. I pray, Father God, that if if uh, if it if it's a that it be a word of conviction, Father God, but that it will also be a word of restoration, that it will be a word of salvation. And I praise you now in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hallelujah. Well let's look at Revelation chapter two. And verse 1, and it says, Unto the angel of the church of Ephesus write, Write these things, saith he, that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in, in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. As pastors and ministers, God will correct us for leading his people down the wrong path especially those who would include New Age teaching with the scripture. Remember, we are to watch over the souls of the congregation. Now, New Age teaching, what is that? Oh, well, they talk a lot about peace, you know, peace and tranquility and enlightenment and uh, that man can do it alone, that we don't need uh, uh, a divine touch from God, but that we can do any and everything uh, without God, and that man himself is divine. This is New Age teaching that everything revolves around man and not so much God. The New Age teaching is where they don't agree. They say that we that are Christians are narrow-minded and we don't allow people to just be people and to enjoy themselves, to do, you know, just whatever they want to do. Whatever I want to do, you know, as long as I'm not hurting anybody, you know, uh, I want to do it. I don't want to be restricted, you know. I want to do whatever if I want to smoke dope, if I want to uh, overeat, if I want to smoke cigarettes, if I want to be a drunkard. Whatever it is that I want to do, I should be happy and free to do that. And so sometimes even through the scriptures, we kind of mix things up and kind of put a little bit of the um, uh, the New Age teaching and mix it into our uh, into our scriptures. But God says that we are to watch over the souls of the congregation. Those who are pastors, those who are in leadership positions, you are watching over the souls of people. And if you don't do right by them, uh, God is going to hold you accountable as well as 
them accountable. Revelation chapter 2 and 2 says, I know thy work and thy labor and thy patience and how thou canst not bear them which are evil. And thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not and hast found them to be liars. Verse 3, and thou hast born and hast and thou hast borne and hast patience, and my for my name's sake hast thou labored and hast thou fainted. Nevertheless, the Spirit of God has said, Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Remember therefore from whence thou hast thou art fallen, and repent and do thy first work or else I will come unto thee quickly and I will remove thy candlestick out of its place, except thou repent. That means that he will move his presence, uh, that judgment will come upon that particular church. Verse 6, but this thou hast, that thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit has said unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Now, in losing their first love, it's almost like they have backslidden because they're doing some things that they should not be doing. They're not following the scripture in its totality. Um, a term referring to the church members who drop out of service, you know, some of us get to the point, I mean, sometimes you you may have to miss service and you can go on your computer, your tablet, your phone, or what have you, or if your church has a website and you can still see the service on TV. But there are some people who just totally drop out. They don't even watch the service on TV. Uh, and they neglect to go to Bible study and prayer. And then they live like people of the world. The word backsliding comes in the Old Testament. Uh, the text is literally turning back or away from. We we get to the point where we think, well, you know, I know that stuff. I, I've I've been teaching and preaching for years. I mean, I've been sitting up under uh, this pastor for so long or that pastor for so long. You know, I, I know it all. What else is there for me to learn? So you step away and you say, well, I can learn at home, spend time in prayer at home. But in most cases, you don't do that. People who stop going to church for a while, they don't spend time in prayer. They don't take time out to uh, pray and have fellowship um, with God. Um, Jeremiah used the term to describe the people of Judah's attitude and conduct in turning away from Jehovah to the false gods of nations around them. Now, their lives were filled with sensual indulgence in the pleasures of the world and the deceit fullness of riches. The same time they went they went about the rituals 
and the ceremonies of the temple as though they were truly truly worshiping God. Similar to the church at Ephesus, a backslidden church will lose its influence in the community, and the only way back is to uh, uh, repent and to uh, uh, sit up under correction. Now, a lot of times um, when we don't do what we're supposed to do, uh, when we're following our own self-gratification, we find ourselves kind of going back out into the world. We we slip away, slip away gradually. We don't just totally just go back out into the world. But the devil makes sure that when we're backsliding, when we're not walking uh, the way that God would have us to walk, he slowly pulls us back in to the point where we're not realizing what is happening to us, but you don't have to stay there. You don't have to stay in a, in a, in a position that's trying to pull you back. Whatever brings us to God uh, is, um, I'm sorry, I'm reading the wrong notes here. When you leave your first love, it means that you can also return to your first love. Whatever it is that you left, you can also come back to. Many cases, many times when people backslide sometimes, we get caught up and, and we feel like, you know, once we're really out there and the devil says, well, you know you can't go back. You know you can't go back to God. You know uh, that God won't won't hear your prayer. You know that God won't receive you. Look at all of us stuff that you've done. But if you left, you can always go back. So we don't want to lose our first love. We don't want to get into a position that we can find ourselves backsliding and becoming worldly like we were before uh, we gave our lives to Christ. Now, Revelation falls into three divisions. The message to the seven churches constitutes a divine record of the things which are seen, the things which were, and the things which shall be hereafter. The messages to the seven churches also follow a standard format with each message consisting of a greeting, a body, and a closing. Now, the history of the church of Ephesus is, uh, Ephesus means a fervent zeal. The city of Ephesus was a famous seaport city, and it was on the west coast of Asia Minor at the mouth of the Kester River, about three miles upriver from where it flowed into the Mediterranean Sea. Hallelujah. Now, it was also, um, Ephesus was the most influential and important city in Asia Minor. It was a, uh, a supreme um, metropo- um, metropolis. There was no Roman garrison uh, there, meaning that there was no military or no police. It was a free, self-governing city, 
it was almost like what happens in Ephesus stays in Ephesus, like like in Vegas, our Vegas today could possibly be uh, uh, the uh, city of Ephesus. And economics, it was known for its economics. It was uh, the worship of idols. Well, it was the worship capital of the world. It was uh, the worship of the idol goddess Diana, which Ephesus was most famous for. Diana, the the uh, temple of Diana was a part of, they said during that time, uh, a part of the seven wonders of the world. Uh, Diana was a, um, a, a Roman goddess. And so the city of, of Ephesus worshipped her, and so they made idols after her, and they sold those idols, and certain people were able to get rich in selling those, uh, selling those idols. In Acts chapter 19 and verse 35, Acts 19 and verse 35, and it says this, And when the town clerk had appeased the people, he said, Ye men of Ephesus, what man is there that knoweth not? What man is there that knoweth not how that the city of Ephesus is a worshiper of the great goddess Diana and of the image which fell down from Jupiter? They believed in those Roman gods uh, that we learned about in school, the mythical or mythology in our mythology classes. And so it talks about those Roman gods or who the people chose to believe in. I mean, there were no writings, there were no teachings of any sort from these Roman gods, but uh, the people yet still believed in them and they yet still prayed. So it lets you know that mankind wants a deity, somebody that they can be held accountable to, somebody that they can pray to, somebody that they hope they can get answers from. And they would pray to these Roman gods, and they would pray to Diana. Now, the temple of Diana, uh, as I said, that was her Roman name. In Greek, her name was Artemis. Uh the temple was one of the seven wonders of the world, and it was supported by 127 columns, uh, 60 feet high. Diana was known as the moon goddess, the goddess of hunting, and the patroness of young women. The worship of Diana was especially vile. The temple employed thousands of priests and priestesses, many of whom were involved in cultic prostitution. So in the temple of Diana, there was all kinds of things going on. And some of these people, you know, in the scripture, it, it tells us uh, where we always heard the scripture said, I suffer not a woman to teach. And it talks about women should be silent in the church. But the the one where it says, I suffer not a woman to teach or women should not teach because there were prostitutes, there were temple prostitutes from uh, different uh, uh, cults that were trying to come into the temple of God, into the, uh, the churches and the synagogues 
and was trying to come in and they were enticing men uh, through sexual intercourse and through food that was offered up to idols. And they would begin to teach certain things that were not doctrinal according to the scripture of God. And so from uh, uh, these women, most of them came from the temple of Diana. They were prostitutes. Uh, There were also craftsmen and silversmiths who made their living selling the idol image of Diana. And this is how they made their living. Uh, They were so enraged at the Christians who preached against Diana, threatening their livelihood as they were converted to Christians. They would no longer need to purchase those idols. As the Christians began to come into the city of uh, of, uh, uh, Ephesus and they began to share the love and the word of God and people were being converted, it means that they were throwing away their idols to Diana and they were no longer buying these idols. And so the craftsmen were getting upset because now their livelihood um, was uh, no more. They they weren't getting these uh, all of the people now to purchase. Uh, they no longer they no longer needed to purchase those idols. Now one of the silversmiths, Demetrius, started a riot, which resulted in two of Paul's companions being dragged into a theater for about two hours, and the people cried out and and. Uh, and saying, as they were crying out, they were saying, great is Diana and the Ephesians. Afterwards, Paul ended his extended ministry in Ephesus and departed at that time to Macedonia. Now, the church at Ephesus was zealous, and it was a fervent church, which greatly impacted the city and its pagan culture. I mean, this church was bold. This, this church was strong. I mean, they stood out against a lot of different things. Uh, Many who practiced magic were now saved and burned their occult books. Many who were involved in the idolatrous worship of Diana were saved. And you can actually read about some of this in um, in the book of Acts, and you can look at chapters 18, 19, and 20. So what changed? What caused a change in this city? For decades past, uh, about the time Paul first visited Ephesus until John wrote the Revelation, a lot can change in the 40 years. The fervor and the zeal of uh, this church, the church of Ephesus, Um, it was beginning to wane. It was still doctrinally sound, but they had lost their first love. The problem was so serious, the Lord threatened to remove his candlestick if it did not repent and did not do their first works over because this shows us that Jesus is seeing everything that's going on. Uh, to remove the candlestick, as I said earlier, 
is to uh, the the presence of the Holy Spirit, the presence of God, of God leaves that place. Uh, judgment can come upon that place. So nothing was hidden from Christ. He saw everything that they were doing. Yes, they were faithful in certain things. You know, the the struck the the doctrinal part. They were um, they were doing all of that, but uh, were they walking and doing it in love? We will see here. The salutate the salutation or greeting of this letter went like this: unto the angel of the church of Ephesus. Ephesus, right. And what he's saying is right to the pastors of the church of Ephesus. These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand. Again, Jesus is identifying himself, uh, and there is no mistaking about who he is. He that holdeth the seven stars or the seven angels, or the seven pastors who are over these particular churches who Jesus has given authority to be over these churches in his right hand. Now, the right hand signifies ownership and protection. Um, It indicates uh, or it shows that Jesus is also walking amongst these seven churches. It indicates movement and interest. Christ is present and personally involved with his churches. In the midst of the golden candlestick, he walks in the midst of his church, and he does that still, even today. Jesus is walking up and down every church that is in that is up in his name. But not only that, he is walking in your life. He is looking into your life and seeing exactly what are you doing. Are you maintaining the value of the word? Are you are you saying what thus saith the Lord? Are you ashamed to note that you are born again? If you're ashamed to, to let people know down here uh, that you're born again, the Bible says that, he will be ashamed uh, of you before his father, which is in heaven. So are you totally and truly giving everything to Jesus Christ as he walks in your life today? What is he seeing in your life? What kind of cobwebs are in your life? Uh, Has your life been occupied with things that should not be there? What's dirtying up your walk? In Christ today, what's holding you back? Um, how are you living before the world? Hallelujah! Now, the body of the letter, the church at Ephesus was a great church, and the Lord knew it. There are many great churches in the world today. But as many as there are great churches, there are churches in the world that are not following after the spirit of God. They're following after man. Some of our pastors are being led astray by certain things and certain teachings and certain people even that they're around. Uh, They've gotten caught up into uh, sexual sins. They're 
there are even pastors that have uh, are abusing their wives, uh, um, beating up on their wives. Uh, things like this should not be so in our churches and, and especially amongst our leaders. But if the enemy can break down the leader, then he can break down uh, the church. So this is what he knows. This is what Jesus is saying that he knows. He says, I know thy works. The word know indicates perfect and complete knowledge. Jesus has perfect and complete knowledge of his church. He has perfect and complete knowledge of you. There are things that, you know, you act a certain way when you go to church, but when you're at home, you do something totally different. You know, you're jumping and shouting and and saying, you know, when the pastor's saying there's people in here that, you know, just drinking up a storm and there's people in here that's getting out of bed with somebody that's not their husband and their wife and and you're up jumping and saying, yeah, yeah, pastor, praise God. Tell them, tell them. But when you go home, you are doing the exact same thing that you were hooting and hollering about in church, and God is not pleased with that. God knows everything that you do, you say, and you think. That's one reason why that message went forth, because the Holy Spirit is coming and trying to change you, trying to change your heart, trying to let you know I'm here to convict you of your sins. I mean, you know, it's not bad to be convicted in your heart by the Holy Spirit. We need God to convict us so that we can change our ways. Uh, He knew everything there was to know about the church. He knows everything there is to know about today's churches. Uh, and and the labor, and and he was telling Ephesians that he knows about their labor, uh, their patience, and how they cannot bear them which are evil. Now there are some churches that are like that. They are they have they have labored, and they are patient in their labor, and um and they don't bear they they can't stand wickedness and evil. And Christ and Jesus commended the church for these three things, its work, its labor, and its patience. The church was not lazy. Works means acts of deeds. The church was a busy and an active church. Labor is toil to the point of weariness, and patience is continuance in trying circumstances. And he says, and thou hast tried them, which say they are apostles and are not, and hast founded them to be liars. They were, and founded them to be liars. They were a sound church in doctrine and practice and could not bear them, which are evil, meaning they did not tolerate wickedness, even in their membership. They tried them which said that they were apostles or special spokesmen. The glorified Christ praised the members of the church for their steadfast endurance 
in serving him. On many occasions on many occasions they had been tested and tried, but they had borne it all for the sake of Christ out of duty. Now this is what Jesus says in the rebuke. Revelations chapter two and four. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Leaving one's first love translated from the Greek, a deliberate and intentional forsaking or departure. We don't want to leave our first love. At first the church is, at first the church of Ephesus was fervently in love with Christ, its members and its law. At one time when we were first born again, we were so fervent. We were so zealous about our walk with Christ. We wanted everybody to be saved. We went to everything. We we went to the um, uh, midnight prayer. We went to the shut-in. We went to the revival we 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 listened at Bible study. We we ate the word. We we devoured the word because we wanted to know more and more and more about Jesus. But what happened is we began to lose our first love. You see, it's important to work for the ministry or to work the ministry that God has given you. But we still must honor God. We still must be be devoted to him. We still must have fellowship with him. When is the last time that you really had great fellowship and are building an awesome relationship with God? When was the last time that you sat with God and just waited in his presence for him. You just you just wanted to, to sit in his presence, to love on him, to worship him, to praise him, to tell him how good he is. Um, within, within the church, we want to fight against evil. But we still must have a love for God and for God's people. You see, what's happening today is the love of many, as the scripture says, is waxing cold. means we are growing excessively cold in the area of love. Churches have always been the place where you could come and feel the love of Christ. When was the last time? that a visitor came and you see them standing there and you know that they don't know anybody in the church. They're looking a little awkward. When is the last time that you went to someone who was the first time visitor and you walked up to them and introduced yourself and they told you their name and you asked, are you a first time visitor? And they said, yes. Did you invite them maybe to sit with you and your family or did you just walk away from them? When is the last time that after church, instead of going and talking 
to people that you know who who have been at the church for some time, and you see uh, visitors just kind of, you know, they're kind of holding back a little bit before they walk out because they want to actually see and feel and experience if this is a church of love. The Bible tells us in Matthew chapter 22 and uh, verses 37 through 39, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, thy soul, and thy mind. Verse 38, this is the first and great commandment. Verse 39, um, the second is like unto the first. Love thy neighbor as thyself. Now, and then the scripture says in verse 44 that this is the second greatest commandment. We have two commandments that Jesus gave us, and that was to love God with our whole heart, with our soul, and with our mind. And secondly, to love our neighbors as ourselves. But what happens is we get caught up into thinking, you know, now we're in ministry, now we're being used, we we had a leader, uh, we, we are uh, over a particular uh, ministry in the church, our name is always being called, uh, we expect for people to come to us instead of us humbling ourselves and going down and meeting people. What happened to the days of old when our pastors and our ministers used to stand at the door and shake hands to make sure that they meet uh, the new converts or that they meet uh, the first-time and even second-time visitors. Um, You know, what happened to those days? Um, If possible, all that they did was no longer motivated by love. What was the problem with the Church of Ephesians is they were not motivated by love. I mean, they knew how to spot a fraud. They knew how to spot an evil spirit. They knew how to call out sin. They knew how to do all of that. But they were no longer motivated by love. Even as we speak the truth against sin, and that's something that we don't do anymore. We don't talk against sin. We don't talk about sin. And so people, therefore, can't not get convicted of what's, what, what's going on in their life and in their heart. But for those of us that do speak against sin, we must remember that it is the Holy Spirit who convicts. We don't convict anybody. We don't point out at somebody, and even if God has let us know something about someone If we see somebody in the Holy Spirit who's telling us to call them up, we minister to that person in private as as the Holy Spirit is beginning to convict them and as the Holy Spirit is moving on them. The Holy Spirit isn't going to just convict them but then uh, hurt, hurt them or hurt their heart or hurt their feelings per se. But as somebody, as the Holy Spirit moves on whoever is ministering, that person will minister the love of the Holy Spirit to them. So we're not there to convict. We are there to uh, walk them towards the love of God. 
We are to speak out against sin and wrongdoing, but don't crush the heart and the souls and the spirit of someone who needs God's uh, forgiveness. So we want to make sure that whatever we are doing in today's church is that we are walking in the love, that everything that we do, we're motivated by the love of God and not just uh, speaking out loudly and boldly uh, against sin, which we should do, but remember that what we're doing is we're winning people to Christ in his love. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Glory to God. Well, I am going to stop right here. Um, I tell you, I get caught up in doing this, and then next thing I know, it's it's time to go. It's almost time to get off of the air. But um, we want to make sure that whatever we do, that we don't lose our first love. And on tomorrow, we're going to talk about what we have to do once um, – what we need to do once it has been revealed to us that we're not walking in the love of Christ. And that is that we, um, that we uh, repent, that we remember what we used to do when we first received Christ, that we repent and that we repeat those works that we used to do over that we will uh, start off brand new, that we won't allow ourselves to be caught up in in something that we should not be caught up in. Hallelujah, glory to God. We also uh, want to say that if you don't know Jesus Christ today, if you don't know Jesus in the pardons of your sin, uh, we want you to know that God sent his son to this earth, not to condemn the earth, but to save this world. He loves us just that much. Even while we were yet sinners, Jesus died on the cross. He died on the cross over 2,000 years ago. But when he died on the cross, he had you in mind as if you were the only person that he was dying on the cross for. He had you in mind. He took the nails in his hands. He took the nails in his feet. He was beaten. He was brutalized. He was, uh, they ripped the beard off of his face. They did all of that, and Jesus still said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And when they dropped the cross into the uh, ground after they had nailed him, when they dropped the cross into the ground, Jesus, all of his bones came out of joint from the trauma of that. His body couldn't take the trauma of that drop, and his bones uh, just came out of joint. And Jesus didn't look like what we see on the little crucifix crosses or some of the pictures where we see Jesus, um, you know, being being straight on the cross, or where we see a little bit of blood trickling down from his forehead, 
from the uh, from the thorns on his head. But Jesus was a mess, a bloody mess, and he was that way because of us. He did that, the excruciating pain. Because of the flesh and the nails in his flesh, he couldn't get a grip uh, in order to be able to pull himself up. And so Jesus basically suffocated on that cross. Six hours of suffocation he went through on that cross for me and you. And he did it so that we would have a right to eternal life. He died and went to hell and snatched out, snatched the keys from Satan and his angels, all so that we ourselves would not have to die and go to hell because hell was not prepared for any of us. He did it for us. Hallelujah. Glory to God. And we just want to say, Lord, we thank you. And if you don't know Jesus, I pray that you will give uh, your life to him. I pray that you will find you a good church, a good Bible teaching church, uh, a church that uh, you can go and really hear and understand the word of God and that somebody will take you up under their wing and that they will lead you to Christ, that you will be taught, that you will be blessed, that you will um, that you will be given the knowledge of God, uh, the understanding of God. And uh, I just pray that you will um, just allow the Holy Spirit of God to just minister to you. Um, allow Jesus to just come in and, and speak to you. You know, it's very, very simple. You just pray and ask him, so, Father, I'm sorry. Forgive me of my sins. I know that I'm not right. I do believe in Jesus. I believe uh, what he did on the cross for me, and I accept him as my Lord and Savior. Forgive me of all my sins. Come into my life and save me in Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah. Well, I see that it is time to go. And uh, I just want to thank you again for uh, tuning in to A Word from God broadcast right here on blogtalkradio.com. Hallelujah. And um, you can email me at A Word from God 7 at gmail.com that's a word from God 7 at gmail.com and you can write me uh, if you have any difficult questions uh, for uh, speaking engagement um, if you want me to help you find a church in your area um, you can also uh, for donations if you want to give uh, a word from God donation. Um, if you have any biblical questions, something about what I've been teaching, I will do my best to get the answer for you. But again, write me at um, a word from God seven at gmail dot com. I would love to hear from you. I would love to hear, you know, what you think of the broadcast. If it's a blessing to you, I would love to know that. 
Well, praise God, praise God. Thank you for tuning in to A Word from God on blogtalkradio.com. I am your radio hostess, evangelist Rebecca Collier Hagler, saying thank you for joining me. May God richly bless all of your endeavors for him. And until next time, have a joyous and a very blessed day. God bless you. I love you. Bye-bye. Let's do it.